if we didn't stand up and say something, then I was terrified where it was going to end. Welcome to the show that the fact checkers warned you about. The one that debunks the mainstream narrative and gives you high signal, actionable content that helps you navigate the cloud world. It's Bomb Thrower TV with your host, Mark Jekovic. Hey, everybody, welcome to Bomb Thrower TV. I'm very happy to have Francis Foster with us today, co-host of the Trigonometry podcast. And before we started rolling, we were just talking about how long it took for us to finally meet online virtually. Anyhow, it's been years. And uh, yeah, I was about to tell you, I met or I discovered trigonometry during like the throes of the pandemic. I went illegally to Quebec, I guess illegally, I don't know, to a friend's uh, sort of retreat, like Mm -hmm. fuck the pandemic kind of retreat. We just hung out all weekend and he told me about trigonometry. He said, Mark, you've got to be listening to this show. So on the drive back from Quebec, it's like an eight-hour drive to Toronto from where he was. I listened to about five episodes. And I'm like, okay, I've got to sponsor this show. <laughs> There's no ands or buts. This is this is amazing stuff. So after all these years, uh, well met, Francis. Thanks for coming on. Well, it's a pleasure to finally meet you, Mark. I mean... The pandemic, I don't think, you know, we've forgotten about it. We've, as a society, we've treated the pandemic like a terrible one night stand. Oh, and that God, we went, yeah. we did it. It was awful. It was a bad <laughs> idea at the start. The more we went through it, the worse it got. And we were like, well, we've come all this way. We might as well have another lockdown. That was even worse. And now we've walked away and we're like, never going to think about that again. Never going to oh. talk about it. That was awful. Never, it, Francis. How about a pandemic amnesty? Because <laughs> you know we ruined people's careers and lives literally for disagreeing with what was being done. Let's just call all that water under the bridge now. I mean, look, I do believe in the in forgiveness, and I do obviously believe that if people apologize, that. We, that should be taken. Otherwise, society pretty much breaks down. If we, if the, the concept of forgiveness is done, then everything falls apart. Let's be honest about that. But the fact that so many people are like, no, I behave like a complete sociopath, high on my own egotistical supply, delighting in bullying my fellow man. And not only that, I think the worst people, Mark, the absolute worst people were what we call in this country jobs worths. The people, the petty little authoritarians who mm. delighted in telling people what to do. It's insane. These people were, you could see, like, I remember once, right? So I went to, during the pandemic, I went to this place called Borough Market. It's a very famous food market in the UK. And it's an open air market, right? And it's basically white middle class people wandering around paying like 10 quid for a latte. That's the kind of thing that it is, right? And they just wander around and, you know, that's what they do. Fine. Great. And so we're walking around. And bear in mind, this was a break during the pandemic and it's open air. I bumped into a friend of mine and I hadn't seen her in about a year. And I went to her, Charlie, it's so good to see you. She was like, Francis, 
how are you? And you know, you you have that moment where you're just two people who used to be friends before the insanity meeting up going, isn't it wonderful to meet a kindred spirit? And we just had that little moment. And out of nowhere popped this little fascist with a visor, with, you know, with reflective jacket, aviator sunglasses, looking like he's an, he's an extra from Top Gun, semi-aroused at the ability to be able to tell people what to do and said the words, no talking, keep moving. Are you kidding me? No. Oh, my In God. an open air food market. No talking, keep moving. And you knew, you just knew that this for him was better than Pornhub. This was better. This was better. This was even better for him than OnlyFans. Because in OnlyFans, interactive. But you don't tell the girl what to do. Here, he got to tell us what to do. And it was wonderful for him, not for me. So forgiveness would be an easier sell if there was some level of introspection and uh, taking responsibility for what yeah. happened. But no one has has done that. No one has done that at all. That I, I mean, I have very few, you know, far and few between. And even when they do, it's pretty asymmetrical. Like they say, um, who was the guy? Uh, Galloway, Professor Galloway, uh, Scott Galloway, I think he's saying, you know, well, I had imperfect information. So, you know, I feel bad for advocating for harder lockdowns at my children's school, but I had imperfect information. Well, everybody had imperfect information. How come one, you know, one group of people with imperfect information were having their lives destroyed and the other one gets, gets to get a walk after it. Um, and, and who had imperfect information? I started a spreadsheet at the beginning of the pandemic and I was tracking, um, like I was probably one of the first people seen in public with an N95 mask mm -hmm. in February. I was emailing people in January saying, go stock up on prescriptions, stock up the, the, the pantry, get some dry goods, um, get some N95 masks. In February, in January, I'm saying this, I'm walking around in a supermarket with an N95 mask. People are looking at me like I'm a fucking batshit crazy person because I had this spreadsheet and I'm taking it from CDC figures that said, by the end of August, Toronto's going to have 85,000 fatalities. And I'm like, okay, we're, we're fucked. We are really screwed here. Then, you know, starting in March, I start entering the official Toronto province, Canada, US. And because my wife's from Barbados, the Barbados figures in the spreadsheet every day. And by the year, early April, I'm realizing this is not a existential crisis. This is not a civilization ending pandemic. This is going to be bad. It could be really bad, but it's not the end. Like this will we'll get over this. Mm -hmm. And so anyone who was looking at actual numbers, you know, follow the science would have known that this um, this wasn't going to be that bad. But people didn't. And then they just kept doubling down and doubling down and doubling down. And so now it's like, well, let's just make it all water under the bridge. So. And you see, and that's the problem. If people actually came out and go, look, it was a global pandemic. We were terrified. We saw what was happening in China. We all saw the footage from Berg Bergamo in Italy. Yeah. We were really scared, and all we wanted to do was protect the most vulnerable people in society. And you know what, guys? We made mistakes. 
I'm sorry. I think most people, most people who are not like, it's a scandemic, or, you know, the nutbags would go, it must have been really difficult to be a politician, especially yeah. a high level one during that time. The stress levels must have been insane. The pressure that you're dealing with, knowing that whatever path you choose, you're going to wreck lives. Yeah. I think most people would be able to empathize with that. What most people and all the people like ourselves cannot fathom or understand is this ability to destroy careers, destroy reputations, and then just walk away as if nothing happened. I was at Jordan Peterson's art conference last week, and I bumped into Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, who we've had on the show. Yeah. And I shook his hand, and he's this very unassuming scientist. So basically, very geeky, very unassuming. And I said to him, you're a hero. And he was just like, oh, no, I'm not. I'm just, you know, I just said what I had to be. He said, I'm like, no, you stood up when it was really difficult. You sacrificed your personal reputation and damaged it significantly as a result in the eyes of many of your peers in order to say what you believed was true. To me, that's a hero. And he was like, oh, thank you, but I don't see it that way. Well, you know, funny you should mention that because that's how I look at you guys on trigonometry, actually, mm-hmm. because you've you've done the same thing. You You took a stand at personal cost to your careers to come out and put on a show that said that to try and speak the truth really. Yeah. And so I wanted to, I mean, we're kind of like almost 15 minutes in, but I wanted to, you know, first off, congratulate you both on the success of your show. Take a page out of the trigonometry playbook and say, give me a little bit of background on Francis Foster and, and how you were like a comedian and came to go into the trigonometry journey. And, you know, how did you get, how did you know what was the path that got you here today and in my and and i'm also curious about you know what's well let's start there why don't you give us the background okay. and how you got there and so, what the I mean, cost was so originally i was a teacher i was a secondary school teacher teaching theater so a high school for the americans and the canadians teaching theater and drama in, in schools i then retrained became a primary school teacher I uh, taught the last year of primary, which is year six, which is 10 and 11-year-olds. Um, and I did well as a, uh, as a, in both sectors, but I was never going to rise through the man- ranks. I'm not management material. I'm not a, I'm not a talented administrator. I'm not, I'm not even a good administrator. I'm a weak administrator. Um, I'm very good at teaching, but the reality is that kind of classroom, that person who does that job in the classroom, there's a sell-by date on that. You can't do that for longer than 10 years. And mm-hmm. I was rapidly approaching my sell-by date as a teacher, and I didn't want to be one of those teachers who just phoned it in because I feel that those people are they're terrible because what you're actually doing is robbing kids of a good education. I'd done my time. I was rapidly approaching 10 years, and I left after about 12. So during that time, I transitioned into being a stand-up comedian and – by the time the pandemic hit, although I'd never done any TV work, I was a regular in all the best clubs in the country. I was writing for the, the best comedians. I was writing for TV. I was opening for TV comics. And I was doing well. And I was also teaching stand-up as well in order to supplement my income and doing trigonometry. 
So I had a nice little income. March 20th came, which was the day of the pandemic, the lockdown. Boom. Lost all my gigs. Lost uh, my teaching, my teaching comedy. The comedy club in which I worked shut down. Everything went to zero. Everything. And I went from earning a pretty decent salary, someone who's never earned much money, to I had £500 a month. And I'm still of the opinion, actually, that with the knowledge that people had, I'm not against there being a lockdown, the first lockdown. In hindsight, it was a mistake. But if you look at the knowledge that people had, okay, I understand it. I don't agree with it, but I understand it and I get it. So then... Just to go backwards, the reason why we started comment, why we started trigonometry is because we felt that the narratives that were being propagated and spread by the mainstream media around Brexit and the Brexit referendum, there was something amiss. There was something completely awry about it because they basically insinuated that every single person who voted for Brexit was either white, were white, male and racist. And my father, clear, who, sorry to interrupt, but to be clear, as I understand it, both of you were remainers as well. Yeah. So yeah. technically you were on the winning side. So, well, morally or no, we sorry. Were, we I were, mean, yeah, you, yeah, but you were sort of technically you were on the side that wanted to overturn this decision. So no, absolutely not. Yeah. I was on the, I was on the remain side during the referendum. When the referendum happened and Remain lost, I was like, I disagree with this result, but I I support dem democracy is more important than my own opinion of how the government, uh, the country should be run. Yeah. Therefore, we should leave the European Union. That was always my position. Yes. Now, the people who wanted to subvert democracy are something else entirely. But this was in 2018 we started because we felt there was something amiss. The way that Brexit was being talked about by the by the mainstream, it was dishonest, it was disingenuous, and it, it reeked of something. And so that's how we started the show. Now, if we fast forward to 2020, the lockdown happened, all of that, and I went from somebody who was earning a fairly decent, okay salary to somebody who living off savings. And I wasn't eligible for any government grants or whatever else. So Constantine and I went full into trigonometry and we said, right, we're going to do instead of one live stream a week, one episode a week, we're going to go to four live streams a week. We're going to go to two episodes a week. And that's what we did. And with the pandemic and the ensuing madness, not only with the government uh, and the Canadian government, may I just make a point <laughs> of it? demented approach to COVID, their yeah. ridiculous approach, the anti-scientific approach, mm -hmm. but also all the ensuing culture war nonsense that came about. You know, you had uh, the death of George Floyd, and yeah. then, you know, and then it, it, it was fine to go and protest the death of George Floyd, but not to protest lockdowns. And all of this nonsense, all of this nonsense that came out, we... It just had to be talked about. It had to be talked about. And we we just tackled it head on because we felt it was important because we felt at this point, if we didn't do, if we didn't talk, if we didn't stand up and say something, then I was terrified where it was going to end. And look, 
we're just a podcast. We would, and I still, buy, uh, I'm still a comedian, and I'm doing stand up, and I've gone back to it, and I love it. But I just felt that we need someone needed to do something, and someone needed to say something. And there were lots of people doing and saying something, but I just felt it was important for me and for the show that we did that. I wouldn't be comfortable knowing that if things had gone even more demented that I didn't do or say something. Because if the worst came to the worst, at least my conscience clear and go, look, I did what I could. I think the, the things that are really interesting is just if you were in the comedy industry, if you are at any type of liberal industry, you're expected to adhere to an orthodox opinion. You're expected to be one way politically. Yeah. You have to be pro-Ukraine. You have to be pro-vaccine. You have to be pro-lockdown. You have to be uh, pro-left. You have to be um, uh, pro-Palestine. All of these things. Now, some of those positions I'm in support of, some I don't know enough about, so I will simply not get involved in the conversation, and some of those I disagree with. But when has it ever been the case, Mark, that you go into an industry and every single person in the room thinks the exact same way? I find that ridiculous. What, if you went into a group of doctors and you sat, let's say, cardiologists, they would all have the same opinion? They would all vote the same way? It's nonsense. Yeah, you might. Sometimes you would think that on the outside, but Mm. I get surprised. I I, I was surprised in the past. Um, That's actually a, a, a phenomenon in itself is that a lot of people walk around thinking the entire zeitgeist is pretty far left because everyone else is afraid to speak up. When I went on Steve Bannon's show the first time, I was frankly terrified. Like I thought this is the end of my career and I like own the company I work for. Right. And I thought, okay, this is, this is going to be in, had the long talk with, you know, walk and talk with my wife saying, do I do this? She's like, you know, everyone knows your opinion. So how bad can it be? And then after I went on his show, the number of people and contacts I got saying, hey, I saw you on War Room this morning or yesterday. I from coming from places I had, I would never have believed that these people watch a show like that because it's supposedly like far right extremism. But uh but just there's this and and then I think I told Anton yesterday we got a comment from you know a customer who's like national government level saying hey I saw your ad on trigonometry it's really great to see so there's all these people like this silent majority it almost feels like that's not on side with all of these things all the time they may be with some of them you know they like people have different different sort of points of like what they believe and where they disagree with people. But we have come through an era that I think started in 2016, right? Because of Brexit over there Mm -hmm. and the wrong guy winning the election over here Mm -hmm. um, where it's people are afraid to even speak up and say, well, no, I don't necessarily agree with that. And yeah. And And, and that's, that's exactly where we are, Mark. That's exactly where we are, where people are terrified to say, 
what they think, even when it comes to things like watching Jordan Peterson. Yeah. You know, if they watch Jordan Peterson, then somehow that means they're far right. If they will listen to Joe Rogan, it's it, and the thing that I find frustrating is these people they, they don't the people who are censorious and go Joe Rogan is far right, for example. Yeah. Well, Joe Rogan, well, the person who is back Joe is a lefty. He's yeah. a lefty. When you when you scratch deep down, he 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 believes in a lot of what the left espouse. No, and I mean, there's he has very strong libertarian tendencies, but a lot of it is, is on the left. And what a man who interviews Bernie Sanders is far right, mm-hmm. and you just go you you, and it's not only that. It's the absolute unwillingness to listen to someone else's point of view. The absolute unwillingness. So if you are not willing to listen to someone else's point of view, then what you are is you're a partisan and you're an ideologue and fine, but don't pretend that you're liberal or on the right side of history because you acknowledge that your opinions are so weak and fragile that they cannot be exposed to any type of pressure or, or counterpoint. And it just means that, if I'm going to be brutally honest, you're weak. You're a weak person. It's as simple as that. Yeah, you know, I, I 100% agree with that. But I also wonder how, how, how deep are the echo chambers that even we all live in? Because... I was listening and I don't mean to I don't mean to dunk on one of your guests. I actually like pretty well get something I can take something like useful or high quality out of every single episode you have on even if it's like you know someone who I disagree with on all fronts. But the Bill Maher show, who I who's another lefty who I always thought thank god another rational person on the left. Mm-hmm. We're like all the way through the trigonometry show, you just had him on seven minutes closer to the end. And it was like this belief, he still believes that Russia swung the election. Yep. And he had never heard the Hillary Clinton clip that you guys played for him. And I, I honestly believe he was being genuine when he said, I've never heard that clip. And that led me to believe we're all walking or oh, most of us unless we're making a concerted effort to break out of it, we're walking around bubble wrapped in echo chambers and we never hear this, this, this out stuff that colors outside the lines. Well, of course, you know, you've got, look, give Bill his due. Bill lives in California. Bill right. lives in LA. Bill lives in one of the most progressive states, progressive cities, progressive industries. And he's sitting at the top of all of it. Yeah, And he comes out with some opinions that, for them, are far right. Yeah. So there was a lot of pushback on what Bill said. And I was good thinking, you know what? It doesn't surprise me. You make a really good point that he hasn't heard. If you're, all your mates were progressive and liberal, is it any wonder that actually you might think or you might not hear this particular piece of news? No, of course not. Yeah. And coming from big tech, well, I don't come from big tech, but being in the technology field. And I realize, like I have this sort of 
awareness of the algos and how personalized those algos are. And, and, and I realized it's actually no surprise that Bill Maher and Francis Foster and, and Mark Jeftovic all are on the same platform. We're all on Twitter. And like, he's never heard that clip. And I used to see it every day for about six months when it came out. And so it was like, it's the algos that are pretty opaque to us. And we, and you know, the Twitter files started exposing it a bit mm-hmm. and you've got some, um, some congressional inquiries that are sort of teasing away the veil of Facebook and stuff, but it really, I mean, that's another concern about um, the culture we're living in that it's not helping um, tear down these echo chambers. And in fact, they, they'd they rather keep you in an echo chamber. And if they show you anything outside, it's something that's deliberately put there to anger you so that you click and share and react to it like out of hostility because yeah. that makes something more viral. You know, we're all being manipulated, every single last person. And I think part of the problem with social media is we don't realize it. We don't realize, you know, that quote, that Nietzsche quote, if you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares into you, mm-hmm. or right back at, or stares back at you. That is so true when it comes to social media. Twitter, X, Facebook, Instagram, whatever platform you use. I mean, TikTok is, I don't even go near that thing. Yeah. But it is the abyss. It is the abyss. And you rapidly, if you spend too much time on there, you think that that is real life. You think that these that those people spouting those things are actual real people instead of avatars, instead of just you know put a person on the bus or on the toilet firing off a poorly worded, poorly structured, poorly thought out argument that actually if they took the time to sit back and think about it would be like, no, I don't really think that. It's the what it's doing is showcasing us at our very worst. Yeah, I was going to say the zeitgeist is composed almost entirely of bad hot takes now, right? Yeah, you had an episode with Jaron Lanier, which talks to this, yeah. um, and and that was a wonderful episode. I actually, I've been following him for years. I have all his books. I've read all his books. I wrote some blog posts about his books. Uh, when the easy DNS ad came on during that, I was like over the moon. <laughs> it's yeah. like, right. On. That was great. But uh, I'll link to that one in the show notes. Cause it talks a lot about what we're talking about here with social media. I hadn't listened to yours or Constantine's standup comedy actually ever mm-hmm. until like, I'm getting ready for this show. And I put on your, everything's a cancel. Everything's a cancel war skit. Yeah. I, like, it was funny as hell. I was actually laughing out loud in the car driving around. But um, how bad is is the actual... I was talking with our mutual friend, BJ Dichter, a couple mm-hmm. nights ago, saying, you know, Francis is coming on, and, and what do you think? And he says, ask him about comedy censorship. Like, tell, ask him to tell you, like, what's it really like over there in terms of, like, the cancel culture on comedy itself or virtue signaling. I heard you talking on the show... Uh, a couple episodes ago and you went to see a comedy show and the guy like gave this five minute political monologue before the thing even started. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's so the 
Can so let's talk about so freedom of speech and the arts in the UK is in a terrible place, particularly comedy, where you have last year at the Edinburgh Festival, which is you know the most it's the most prestigious and biggest arts festival in the world and the most prestigious one in the UK, which has made careers for people like Eddie Izzard mm-hmm. and a whole host of other people. And there is a comedian who is probably one of our greatest comedians called Jerry Sadowitz. And Jerry plays a character of this misanthropic, hateful, how can I put this, misfit, railing against the world, railing against every single human being, regardless of race, creed or colour. And then he interrupts that hateful bile by doing some of the greatest close-up magic tricks that you've ever seen in your life. Hmm. He's a brilliant comedian and one of the world's best close-up magicians. He went to the the Pleasance, which is the most prestigious place to perform comedy at the Fringe. Some of the students, and they were students, who were working on his show were so offended, they got the show cancelled. So the show was cancelled. As a, and so that happened. Very few comedians came out to talk about it. Very few comedians came out to actually say this is wrong because a lot of those people agree with it. They agree with the censoriousness. They agree with cancelling. And they agree that comedy needs to be policed. And that has happened in this year's Edinburgh Festival, where there is a comedy show called Comedy Unleashed. I've performed for them many times. I love the guys that run it. It's a free speech comedy show. They've had left, right, centre people to come on. They have comedians of every every colour and creed to come on and perform. They were cancelled because they had on a performer who is gender critical. Basically, who thinks a man's a man and a woman is a woman. And they cancelled their venue not once, but twice, to the point where they had to perform in the street. And there have been numerous other examples of uh, comedians getting cancelled. There's one comedian called Alfie Brown who was cancelled for a routine, I think he did seven years ago. Seven years ago. And the people who cancelled him ultimately were the comedians. It is shameful, disgusting. And the worst part is... They celebrate this. They think that what they're doing is morally good and correct. And they're so arrogant because they can't understand that eventually the sword of Damocles will fall on them. It will fall on them. But they don't see that because in order to quote their language, they are on the right side of history. They are the ones who are moral, pure and virtuous. They are the ones who know what is good and what is right. And they are the ones leading us to the glorious sunny uplands. Yeah, and you and can't argue with these people. Yeah, we've been, I mean, I've been, you know, writing about free speech and cancel culture for a long time. Um, and I've been saying the whole time, it's like, you're going to eventually, the pendulum is going to sh- revert. There's going to be reversion to the mean. And things don't revert to the mean. They overshoot the mean by definition. And when you're on the wrong when you're on the wrong side of history you're not going to feel that great about it we're starting to see like see like 
in a in a mild case, like a precursor case, was when Elon Musk bought Twitter. Mm-hmm. I have I have mixed feelings about Elon Musk because he's a bit of a cancel holic himself. And we've had customers on Easy DNS who were whistleblowers, Tesla whistleblowers, and the what we called Elon's flying monkeys, like incels for Elon, would swarm us and our customers trying to get them canceled. So I mean, you know, but he sort of took the blinders off, and suddenly the peop- the blue checks were on the wrong side. They got caught wrong-footed, and they completely lost their shit. Now we're starting to see what's going on in the Middle East. I actually feel not informed enough about the history to even comment intelligently. But what I can observe from way the hell over here in my, you know, uh, Hmm. bubble wrapped existence in Toronto is that um, the left wing people thought they could completely support Hamas with impunity. And now they're getting canceled and they're acting like, what the fuck is going on? What do you mean mm-hmm. I can be fired for like, you know, saying I stand with Hamas and I'm a school teacher or you, you know what I mean? It's like to them, yeah. it's like, this isn't supposed to happen. It's like, this has been happening for 10 years. We've been telling you that this is going to come, you know, it's what goes around, comes around. And now they're completely um, blindsided by it and think like it's some sort of crime against, you know, civilization. Well, I find it always very interesting when people who've never spoken about free speech and, you know, talk about there's no such thing as cancel culture. There's only <laughs> consequence culture. All of a sudden, when it's their lot being cancelled, they're much. like, hey, hey, what about free speech? I'm like, really? Because I never heard you talk about it before. But all of a sudden, <laughs> it's your mate or it's your organisation. And I always, I mean, Hamas is a different thing because Hamas is a terrorist organisation. But... You know, when it comes to when Navarra Media, who are a progressive left wing YouTube channel, and we've had the head of Navarra Media on our show and we've interviewed him and we gave him a fair interview and people can check it out. It's actually a really good interview. And I like Aaron and I think he's a man of principle. I disagree with him on a lot of stuff, but fair enough. But when they got uh, their YouTube, they got a strike on their YouTube channel. I was one of the people who came out and so was Constantine going, "You, you can't do this. And it's, it's not about whether you disagree with people and we disagree with them on a lot. It's the principle of it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm a rabid anti-communist, right? Like mm-hmm. frothing at the mouth. And yeah. when I saw... Living you know, in the wrong country, mate. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I told like the World Socialist Foundation or whatever, when they were getting deplatformed on Twitter, I said, "Look, come on over to Easy DNS. Like, I hate communism, but I'm going to watch your back, and no one's going to take you down because of mm-hmm. what you're writing on your website. Like, that is not going to happen." So, um, you know, I'm I'm willing to to put my money where my mouth is for anyone with a legitimate. I don't even want to mince words about legitimate free speech, but you know what I mean. Like, we have yeah. we have shut down like. Stormfront asked if they could come onto the system, and we said, "Like, thank you for asking. No, you can't come onto the system." So, you know, it's who's that Stormfront? Uh, they're like neo Nazis, like white oh, supremacists. Yeah. You know, on a recent episode, this is kind of on this same theme. Like, you implored people, don't push your friends away over a difference in political opinions. Um, and so, you know, you don't have to 
relive the the gory details but just like have you lost friends over brexit over starting trigonometry over the pandemic like has it cost yeah. you actual friendships and relationships yeah, it's cost me actual friendships yeah and you know and people are like oh they weren't your real friends and no they were yeah they were they were real friends you know but the problem is is this politics stuff is so toxic now it's yeah. just and people have just been radicalized and so they have seen anybody who doesn't think the same way doesn't have the same opinions they start to see them as the enemy so yeah. it's no longer oh this is just a person who thinks differently to me this has now become the enemy and one thing that you can't do is be friends with the enemy how can you do that you can't be friends with the enemy you know if the opposition are nazis how can you be friends with a Nazi? That's impossible. You, you can't do it. So, yeah, I have lost friends. And that's really sad. And it's tragic right the way through society. As a society, men are getting lonelier and lonelier. I can't remember the stat. Chris Williamson actually is really great on this. We've got an interview with him coming up on Sunday. And he actually said, and he was saying about, I think something like 20% or maybe even more, 25% of men have no friends. Mm. that's tragic yeah and the fact that this you know this politicization of society has meant that we're losing even more friends and we've got romantic relationship breaking up we've got marriages ending yeah is it worth it really is i know a marriage really that broke it? up over vaxes right yeah yeah what well, do you think when you're uh, when you god forbid when you, it's your final moments, which, you know, a lot of people don't want to admit we're all going to have that moment when we're there and it's going to be the last few moments, the last few breaths. Are you really going to be thinking, yeah, I'm really glad I told her to fuck off because she wouldn't take the vax. Yeah. I'm really glad of that decision. I'm really proud of it. Really? Or are you going to see that as a moment of absolute lunacy and just throwing away something that is one of the most precious things in life which is a relationship or a friendship is that really what you want you know it was on the bill maher episode again where he observed he said you know you just used to not talk about politics and, uh, and, religion. and religion you know you just didn't know what your neighbor thought and um you i remember my mom saying that to me don't yeah. talk about politics or religion with your friends yeah and Scott Adams, he was on, was it on your show recently where yeah. he said, look, if I, if I walk outside and run into a, into a group of black people, am I going to have a problem with them? Absolutely not. Right. Because it's, this is, but in the real world, most of the time you don't have these problems with people because you don't know what their opinions are right there when they're like eating with you in a restaurant or something. But then when you bring it online, we're back online, we're back on yeah. social media Everything gets pushed in your face. Everybody's got their bio, their pronouns and their Twitter bio and their flags and their whatever. And it's like, and if you don't, you're the enemy. Everybody loves a flag. The left love a flag and so do the right. Yeah. You know, I just don't get it. I don't get it. You know, if you want to put on a, you know, a flag, put on a flag. But this, and if you think, where do you see flags the most? It's in battlegrounds. Yeah. Here's my flag. Here's your flag. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I find it sad. 
I don't. I find it really sad that the idea that you would throw away something as precious or as valuable as a relationship or as a friendship. You know, my 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 partner, she she thinks very differently to me about a whole host of different things, a whole host of different things. And she and people go, oh, but you know, like how can you have a relationship? Because some things are more important than politics. I would and, say most things are more important than yeah. politics, actually. But. Yeah. And if you can't be friends with someone or be in a relationship with someone that thinks differently to you and you find that triggering, you're a child. You are infantile. You have no maturity. You have no impulse control. And ultimately, you're not an adult. You're not an adult. So this, you know, bragging about, oh, you know, I only hang out with my tribe. Really? Really? You don't want to hang out with anyone who challenges your opinion? You don't want anyone to go, hang on a minute, mate. Have you? Maybe think about it from this side. Because we all have opinions that are uninformed, that are bigoted, that are wrong, that are stupid. And you're not going to expose yourself to someone who go, hang on a minute, mate. Really? That's what you want for your life? That's a child. One of my uh, favorite quotes of all time is uh, attributed to Abraham Lincoln. I've never actually mm -hmm. sourced it, but he said, if two people agree on everything, one of them's unnecessary. Yeah, and, uh, of course. I remind myself of that um, in business dealings, you know, yeah. when I'm like, oh my God, like my co-investors or partners are like disagreeing with me on something. I'm like, well, if we agreed on everything, we would, you know, one of us doesn't have to be here. So, yeah. You know, and it's, you see it with Israel, you know, and you see it with people on the Israeli side going, you know, they're all anti-Semitic on this march, you know, everybody, really? Are they? Yeah. Every single one of them? I'm not saying that there's no anti-Semites on the other side. Of course there are. Of course there are. But all of them? Or even most of them? Maybe they're not that well informed. Maybe they just disagree. You know, it's, it's very worrying when you see someone who thinks differently to you and you automatically assume bad faith on their part. Mm. Because this is actually something where I agree with woke people. Not all of it, but a certain aspect of it, which is lived experience. Mm. If you are, you know, a black woman who grew up in a poor part of the world, who grew, like, let's say grew up in a really tough part of the Bronx, just putting an area out of my proverbial, you're going to have a very, very different experience to someone who grew up in a very wealthy part of the UK. Your, your view of life is going to be different, and that's fine. And you're going to see the world differently, and you're going to think different thoughts, and you're going to approach subjects differently. Great. What's wrong with that? Yeah. You know? And that's how we learn. But if you actually sit and have a conversation, you go, oh, I never thought about it like that. Yeah. Actually, I'm just looking at the time. So I'm gonna I'm gonna jump forward a bit because uh, I know you've got a hard stop coming up. Mm -hmm. Um I was curious about because you guys have gone to America twice, right? Three times. Three times. Okay. Indeed. And, you know, everybody in the world, and we do here in Canada as well, has this sort of, we're transfixed with the idea of America, right? The American mm -hmm. dream and, yeah. and, and all of that. 
And I was genuinely curious, is there a same sense of like British patriotism, British pride, or is it all just like, no, we're a hundred percent monstrous colonialists and always have been, or is there, you know? It's a good question. Look, I think the problem is, is that I saw this clip of this young lad, probably went to university. His accent was came from like kind of quite a middle class background. And he was drunk and he was talking to this hot mixed race woman who was interviewing him. So he was probably trying to say the right thing in order to get laid. Let's let's not discount that, you know, because yeah. we've all been there. <laughs> and he was like, see, the thing is, you know, we've, you know, we've got no culture. We just stole everything. You go, really? What, Shakespeare? The Beatles? <laughs> yeah. The po poetry? You know, the art? Really? Yeah. It's just what? It's just bizarre. It's bizarre. Hmm. And that's just off the top of my head. Yeah. I just, you know, I can't, you know, the, the philosophers that have come from this country. So, look, I think the problem is, is you know, and it's been said ad nauseum, a lot of kids have just been force-fed this bullshit. They've never gone to a different part of the world. They've never seen the, the you know, the way how most people live in this in this in this globe on this globe on this world and they think that we're somehow uniquely awful and evil mm -hmm. so, okay you think we're evil here's a one-way ticket to Tehran. have a yeah. look at that yeah have a look at that yeah have a think about what those people are like because i'm telling you they're not lgbtqia plus friendly yeah ironically enough they are pro-trans because when they see a gay kid they're like well Let's turn them into a woman, which ironically enough is what we're starting to do now. So maybe we are losing the moral high ground. Get a lot of that in Canada too. Like just we're yeah. an irredeemably, you know, horrible place um, with indefensible guilt. And uh, it, we even get it in official documents issued by our government talk about, um, cap, you know, Capitalism is based on extractive colonialism and white supremacy. And I'm like, this is our fucking government talking to us here. We're like, well, you know. of course, Trudeau says that he spends half of his time blacking up. So <laughs> why wouldn't he? Yeah, I know. Anyway, um, I know we're running out of time. I know you guys have some major plans mm -hmm. in the offing if you want to talk about any of that and then also like where do people follow francis foster specifically okay so we've got loads of plans so we've got huge interviews that have just come out we've got an interview with douglas murray uh talking about islam uh, is israel islam uh, israel and palestine that is uh that's about to hit a million views that we'll do in the next couple of days um if you're a fan of comedy we've got an incredible interview with uh tony hinchcliffe which is doing big numbers as well. So, and we've interviewed a whole host of amazing people. We've, Bill Maher, we did an amazing interview actually with Jay Leno, which we haven't re, re, uh, really? released. Wow. Yeah. What a lovely man. Interviewed yeah. him in his car garage. I mean, yeah. That's some, that is, yeah. You've seen, I've seen cars that are worth more than basically everybody's house that I've ever been in. <laughs> wow. I've actually, yeah, it, but what a what a sweetheart of a man. 
Um, so yeah, so uh, the comedian Russell Peters. Uh, so yep, so we've got uh, we've got all those interviews coming out, and we've also got uh, uh, Constantine's great speeches, comedy monologues by me. There's loads of things for you to check out on the channel. So go over there, like and subscribe. If you like me, I always put out con uh, comedy content and tweets and funny stuff at Francis J Foster, Francis with an I, uh, on Instagram and Twitter. And that's pretty much it, you know. Great. Well, you know, I was listening to the Douglas Murray episode yesterday, listened to the Bill Maher the day before, looking yeah. forward to the other ones. I'm glad we finally met. So, you, too, uh, you know, give my regards to Anton and Constantine and the whole crew. And I will uh, we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk again sometime. Hopefully, mate. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. All right. Take care. Cheers.